Welcome back. It's a big interview clip show. What else came up in the first season of the Big Interview Podcast? This one follows on from a previous episode where we zeroed in on the Mavericks. We had stories about Gaza, Cantona, Chrissy Waddle. You get the picture. At the start of this second instalment, we're going to hand over to a manager who has known more than his share of idiosyncratic footballers. Harry Redknapp is going to tell you about the ghost, John White, and Georgie Best, as well as the many other Mavericks he signed and often revitalised guys like Paolo Di Cagno, Robert Proschnecki, King Canu, and Paul Merson, our man in Barbados. You mentioned a name there that I grew up hearing about all the time. People who hear my accent might think it's Dave Mackay, but everybody who I ever listened to, and I never saw him play on television mm. because he died young, was John White. John White, fantastic. People said he was an outstanding footballer. John White was an amazing player. He, he married Harry Evans, his daughter. Harry Evans was the assistant manager at Tottenham, was a lovely man. And John White came from Falkirk, was in the army, I think, and joined, uh, he was at Falkirk and signed for Tottenham. He was amazing. And during the breaks, during the, uh, when I used to go there as a kid and train, Dave Mackay had to say, John, show us a few tricks. And we'd all sit around, all us kids, and we'd be sitting there having that, after having that little bit of dinner, you know. And, the, and John White would get the ball out. He could do anything. With it. He, he was a magician with a football. But even just juggling with a ball, he, he could make the, he was a master of the football. But his passing when he played, he just, he glided around the pitch. He seemed to skim over the surface somehow, you know. And Harry Evans gave me a pair of John's boots. John White's boots and um, the silliest thing I've ever done there was a boy at school you know when we played who didn't have any boots at one time and I let him have a, the boots he want, I wanted him to play in the school team and anyway I never saw the boots again but they were John's boots and um, he was he was an amazing footballer One of the things that um, I've always admired about you and got brought out a lot in the book was that you have a fabulous eye for a footballer not just necessarily a youth footballer or a raw footballer, but you're always willing to put a premium on ability above what other people might say. An example I'll go to immediately is, is putting your faith in Paulo Di Cagno, you know, a maverick mm. character who'd mm. been banned for pushing over a referee. But for you, the talent was the important thing, which I think, I mean, there's multiple examples, but I think we could talk about you know, building a team with Cano and Merson and mm. winning trophies there. Tell me about your appreciation. I'm like starting with Paolo. What made you make the decision, or, and, and what in general makes you think I'll put talent ahead of whatever anybody else tells me? About? Well, I just think, you know, he was a special player, you know, and I used to watch him play at Sheffield Wednesday. I watched him at Celtic, and I just felt I've never seen when he was at Celtic, he was like a little kid in the playground. They get, he, he was taking corners, throw-ins, three, whoever the boy he wanted to do everything, he just wanted to win. And um, so when the opportunity came to bring it to West Ham, it was too good to miss. And, uh, and people at the time wrote that I was walking a tightrope without a safety net under me by signing to Canio. And, you know, people, newspaper men said it was, a, you know, what a, what a chance I was taking. He was going to, you know, finish me. And, but he was fantastic. He, he was amazing. The fans at West Ham absolutely loved him. There was up days, there was down days with him. He wasn't always easy to manage, but... Um, I mean, I look back, I laugh at this. We had some great times. Yeah, but you look back at it now because it was a mm. success. And he scored the all-time goal of the Premier League mm. there. He raised expectations at the crowd. He, I think in the training field, he showed what a good pro he was. Mm. But it's in the moment of taking the risk that I think some of your 
talents shine out that you will say, I'm willing to back talent and creativity over potential risk. Yeah, but I think you have to, Graham, sometimes. I watched your game last night on TV. I'm watching Aston Villa play Birmingham. The first half was dire. It was dire. It was, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, look at this. Suddenly they bring a kid on Grealish. And this kid is floating over the pitch. He's beating players. He's doing drag backs. He's playing passes. He just lit the game up. Then suddenly you sit and think, I'm watching this kid. I thought, what a talent. Whether he'll go on to be what he should be, but... My God, he just changed the whole football match when he walked onto the pitch. It was amazing to watch. I love people that can play. We can go over the park on Sunday and watch a load of blokes running around, tackling, <laughs> kick, booting the ball up the pitch and chasing it. You know, I want to see someone who can do something. That you, people, people want to see people do stuff that they can't. You know, where are the great wingers? Where's the Jimmy Johnsons? Where's the Wee Willie Andersons? Where's the David Coopers? You know, that used to come down from Scotland, you know, played in Scotland. Where's the, the great dribblers? Where are they gone? People now, one against one. How many people can beat anybody? That's why you put it. When you watch Messi play, it's just, it's just incredible to watch. He does things that you just, you know, it's just incredible. And I love watching people that can do stuff, that, that can beat people, that can dribble and do something that the average man in the street or the average Sunday morning player can't do. I feel that that, that that change, I think, began in the middle 70s as you were moving from being a successful player at West Ham, a winger, to into management. The ones I admired who got me excited at the time were players like Duncan McKenzie, Peter Barnes, Frank mm. Worthington. Alan Hudson was a different style of player. Yeah, he was a fantastic player. But they were being ignored then, Harry. I know. Even then. Tony Curry. Tony Curry. Alan Hudson. So, Peter Osgood, they should, how many caps should they have had, really? Uh, you know, fantastic players. Gunter Netzer, you know, who plays for Germany. You see Tony Curry play, you see Hudson play. You know, they're up there. They're as good. As good. What is it in, in the British nature, the English nature, given that you named half a dozen brilliant Scottish winner, wingers there, and Charlie Cook, I want to throw cool, in Cool, Charlie too. Cook, fantastic. Aberdeen legend. Fantastic dribbler. Incredible. Roll the ball to your people, got to swipe it away and drag it back and drift away with it, you know. Got changed at Chelsea on his first day, keeping the ball up the whole time. Uh, he could change it out of his clothes and it just kept, just to say, Char- Char- Charlie's, Charlie, Charlie's yeah, here. What, what is it in our English character then that started to squeeze those talented players out by not picking them for England, by not developing oh, yeah, footballers yeah. like them. And any clue why, why you... When you well, coaching, look- I think coaching, we suddenly became very functional, didn't we? You know, I used to go on managers' courses at that time and teams like Wimbledon were being successful mm. and, you know, and Watford were being successful. And suddenly, you know, when you went there and Charles Hughes would be talking and he would talk about the Pomo ball and goals were scored by three passes or less or, you know, whatever. It suddenly became a game that... It was a long ball game. Suddenly, you know, you're going to keep, keep getting it, whacking out. People that wanted to play and could play were being... I could imagine Messi in them days turning up at a football club, having coaches look at him, and they didn't know, and they go, nah, he's got no chance. Look at the chance he got, you know, little skinny thing, little feet like, you know. And then he'd have probably beat about four, but then he'd have gone, nah, he couldn't do it. Yeah, try doing that up up somewhere up north on a cold, wet night. You know, that was the, that was the attitude, wasn't it? I had Robert Prozanecki, and I had a coach uh, at Portsmouth saying, lazy, look at it. So I watched him play. I'd have paid... It was just incredible to watch the man play. He was a genius. Yet, 
there's people at the club didn't have any time for him, basically. Robert was a guy to watch, and he, would, he was a bit scruffy, and he would oh, nick a boat with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Whatever, God, <laughs> what a player. But handicapped, but he could play. Play. You know, we had lads like Canu. I mean, Canu. People talk about Portsmouth spending money. And I, I remember ringing him up on a Monday. We never had a striker. First game of the season, we were playing Blackburn at home. Todorov's got an injury. He's doubtful. Yakubu wasn't fit. We never had a striker on our books to start the first game. I'm going to play a centre-half up front, a uh, pinch, and uh, suddenly Canu's name, I don't know where it came to me, Canu. We're going through all the, where we might find somebody, but nothing. Canu, what happened to Canu? He, he was at West Brom last year. They freed him. They got relegated. I find the number for Canu and ring him up. What you been, what you been up to, big man? Oh, no. So you've been training? Uh, I went for a run in the park one day. <laughs> oh, well done. Listen, come down tomorrow. I'm interested in taking you. Bring your boots. Bring your boots. Come down. I'll give you a fitness test tomorrow. If you're fit, I'm interested in signing you. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I want to play. I want to. He comes down. We've got a reserve game that afternoon with Cardiff at the training ground. I throw him straight, but you can't. Harry's not trained. He said, How can you play him? He can't just go and play for He hasn't done a pre season. I said, he's either fit or he's not. Let's see if he's any, see where he is. I stick him in. 60 minutes, he gets two goals, he's out of this world. Right, we sign him, bomb, give him a contract at the end of the season. Saturday, Todorov is going to play half a game. They said, you might get half out of Todorov. So I put Cano on the bench. He's tired after this 60 minutes on the Tuesday. But anyway, <laughs> he plays, he plays Todorov, scores. We win him 1-0 at half-time. I bring Cano on second half, half-time. He gets two goals and misses a penalty, Cano. Right, we win 3-0. That's a Saturday, first game of the season. Monday night, we got a Middlesbrough. I'm playing him at Middlesbrough now. He ain't trained one day since he finished at West Brom. Wherever he said he went for a jog in the park, he never really wouldn't have done. <laughs> so, he, so we got a Middlesbrough, so he's playing at Middlesbrough. We beat Middlesbrough 4-0. He gets two goals again. He runs from the halfway line for one of them. He keeps zigzagging. The defender's chasing him. He breaks away. You know, he keeps going across him with the ball and the defender's trying to get up to tackle him and he's cutting him off. <laughs> it, just, it was unbelievable. The keeper comes out, he goes past the keeper and rolls it in the empty net. We get back to the airport. We, we flew out of Bournemouth that night, funny enough. So we get back to, uh, back to the airport. Will stood there with one 4 nil. Canu is sitting where the luggage comes round. He's sitting like this. Suddenly, he's going... He can't move, he can't get up. His, his, his body's gone into whatever, right? He's like this. He just can't move. We're saying, come on, Cannon, we've got the coach is here. I, I can't get, I can't get, I can't. So they lift him up and put him in a wheelchair. <laughs> this is the God's honest truth, right? They put him in a wheelchair, wheel him out the airport. The kit man, one of the kit men, we lift him up, get him in his car in the passenger seat. He had to drive him home. <laughs> his body had gone into some whatever, you, whatever it was he's gone into but he just could not move he couldn't stand up he couldn't he's had suddenly had two games and he ain't played ain't trained but oh he was he was amazing amazing lad you know every he used to ring me on Sunday night the phone would go I didn't get it because so I'd go to bed he knew I was in bed quarter to 11 11 o'clock oh gaffer is Canu King I have the upset tummy I can't come in tomorrow. 
I'd be in Tuesday every week. He just didn't want, he was in London, lived in London. He didn't want to come, he'd play on a Saturday. He didn't want to come in on Monday or warm down and all that messing about. He didn't want to know about that. Stretching, he just didn't. But play, that's what we started talking Genius. about. Genius. Yeah. Genius. Feet like canoes. Yeah. But he could do anything with the ball. I mean, one of the most extraordinary goals I've ever been present for was him playing for Arsenal at Chelsea. Yeah, oh yeah. And coming in off the line. Uh, and yeah, there's, yeah. There's no yeah. angle. No, no. It can't happen. No. I mean, yeah. So I took him for nothing. We didn't pay him much dough. He ended up scoring the goal in the semi-final. To get, we won 1-0. He gets the goal in the final. We win 1-0. He was, a man, and I loved him, he was fantastic. We went out to Nigeria to play Man United. There was thousands of people at the airport, not to see us, just to see, he was the king. They was outside the hotel day and night, people, they loved him out. He was the king, King Kenu, they called him, you know, fantastic he was. We're here because of what you've achieved and because you love a football, but you- I can't get away from the fact that you also make me, you make me cry with laughter sometimes. You told a story, which if you're indulgent, you tell me again, about letting Merce have a little bit of time. Oh, Merce, yeah, yeah. Now, Mer- Merce is a wonderful guy. Oh, right? yeah. Mean, a, just a diamond of a guy. Yeah, yeah. And he could play a little bit. Too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's now in tremendous nick and he's, he's fun to be around. But when he was playing for you, I mean, he added the same kind of class as, as Canu did. Oh, Merce was fantastic. I, took, I mean, my first year at Portsmouth, I'll be honest at the time, it, being a manager of Portsmouth wasn't something that I ever saw myself wanting to do, you know, where I was at that time. I'd left West Ham and I went there with Milan as director of football, but then he wanted me to be a manager. I didn't want to be the manager. In the end, he was going to pack up and I took, I took it on. I thought, they finished fifth, bottom five, bottom six, four years running. I thought, what chance we got? A mate of mine rung me, who a, loves a bet, and he said, hey, I'm going to have a few quid on your team, 33 to one. I said, don't even think about it. I said, don't waste your money. I said, I promise you, we've got, you know. That was about a week before. I signed Merson about three days before the season started. Someone said, I got a phone call. Steve Cutner was his agent. Would you be interested in Merce on a free? They'll pay most of his wages. They just want to get him out. I said, I'll take him now. He said, would you definitely? I said, yeah, definitely. He said, I don't know if he'll come, Harry. I, you know, he's up Villa, he's playing Premier League. I said, well, let me talk to him. I spoke to him. I said, look, come here, I'll make you captain. You know, play you in be off the front. Bosh, he went, that'd do me. He came in, he just turned the club around, really. He, you know, his presence, everybody loved having him there. The other players, I remember Linvoy Primus, he was a fantastic lad. He said, I never thought I'd play with Paul Merson, you know. He'd been around the large divisions. So, yeah, Merce came in and was just amazing. But he was high-maintenance high at the time. He was, you know, he was always moaning. If you're playing one touch, he'd want to play two touch, you know. And he came to me one day, and we, ain't got a, we haven't got a game for two weeks. We're top of the league. We got off to a flyer. We were absolutely played brilliant. I, I played with three at the back. And I either played with two in midfield with Merce behind two strikers, or sometimes I'd play Merce in behind one or whatever, depending, maybe a three midfield player. We had two very attacking fullbacks, Steve Stone, Matty Taylor, who got us goals galore from left wing back. And Merce said, oh, I'm... Harry said, I've got a problem. We're not, we're two weeks with no game. He said, I've got a problem with the drinking and the, the gambling and, and the women. And I've done a few drugs, you know, in the past. And I went, oh, really? I said, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself, you know. So he said, can I, he said, can I have a week off to go to Tony Adams' clinic? So I said, yeah, sure, no problem. 
He said, it sorts me out when I go there. He said, oh, your missus has got the ump, she's going to leave me otherwise. And they're like, all right, Merce. We ain't so sick. If I go after the game Saturday, can I come back the following Monday? I said, yeah, no problem. We ain't got a game the following Saturday. It's cup week and we're out of the cup. We got beat by Man United in the third round at Old Trafford, so I said, we've got a free week. Anyway, Merce goes off and uh, we ain't playing for two, two weeks, so me and Sandra went to Barbados for five days, right? Stand at a friend of mine's house called Michael Tabor. Michael, they own Coolmore, you know? They own the uh, Sandy Lanes Hotel, but Michael's house is better than the hotel. Anyway, I'm staying at Michael's house. So it's great. We have been playing golf, me and Michael, every day. And he's got a few people come around. And one lunch, we're sitting there on the Wednesday or whatever. A fella comes in. He said, I've just seen one of your players up the beach, Harry. I said, one of my players? He went, yeah. I said, no, it can't be. Not here in Barbados. One way old, no, Paul Merson. I said, no, it can't be Paul Merson. I said, he's at Tony Adams' clinic. He said, of course it was Merson. He said, I'm an Arsenal man. He said, I know Merson. He said, I didn't know you was going to be here, so I just had a chat with him. Anyway, it was January, right? End of January, middle of January. It was cup week. We get back home. Merson comes in. You've never seen him once so brown in your life, right? <laughs> it's, middle, it's January, freezing cold out, snowing. And I said, hello, Merson. Take it. All right. I said, yeah, are you, you all right? He went, yeah, I feel a lot better now. I, I thought, yeah, I bet you do. You had a week in F in Barbados, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I went, oh, really? So I thought, now, you have a rat. We're top of the league. Things are going great. He's scoring goals, making goals. He's my captain. I have a rat with him and then end up doing me nut with him and we have a ruck and he's finished or whatever. I went, Merce, as long as you feel better, we've got a big game Saturday. That's all that matters. Yeah, I feel better. Anyway, we played on Saturday. He got two goals, I think, that Saturday we won the game. And then, then we went to Millwall and he'd come in the dressing room for the game. I forget the figure, 35 grand, I think it was, in, his, in the package, in, in, in readies, all in bundles. So he says to me, can you look hard this for me? He said, I said, what is it? He said, I've got these bookmakers, he said, from Ireland. He said, well, don't pay them, they're going to shoot me kneecaps off. He said, they're at the game, they've come here today. I said, well, leave it in your pocket, Merce. He said, I can't, it's Millwall. He said, can I leave it in my pockets here? He said, what can I do with it? I said, well, what can I do with it? He said, well, can't you just look after it for me during the game? He said, oh. I went, all right. So I thought, so I put a tracksuit on instead of a suit. I thought, I put a tracksuit on. I put a, stuck loads down my job. I got it all everywhere. I got it all around me. Anyway, I was sitting there about 20 minutes. Suddenly, someone makes a say happens. I get on the touchline. By the side, I'm saying, get it, pick him up. Or do Suddenly, this money starts to run, run down my leg, like it's slipping out, coming down onto the running track. Now, I'm holding on to my legs like this, <laughs> and I'm walking back to the... They went, what's the matter? <laughs> he said, what's that, what's that with you? I went, no. I never moved again. <laughs> I spent the rest of the half trying to work this money back up here. Anyway, we, we end up winning 5-0. I took Merce off before the end. Half-time, I took the money out. I went to the toilet, got hold of it, and put it and hid it in the, in the uh, dressing room. So, uh, but we won 5 0 when I pulled, he came off about five minutes ago. He got a standing ovation, Merce. And uh, he said, I actually, oh, I'm under a grand. He said, but they've done a deal with me for 35. So I went, oh, that's all right. Shaved his bacon. Yeah. But, Good lad, though, he was. Ah, oh, but a fantastic gifted, footballer. Gifted footballer. Yeah, he just made the difference. He came into that division. He could do things. He but could play. He wouldn't have gone and played for many men. I mean, I'm not, no. I'm not saying maybe only Harry. Yeah, that, yeah. But you carry. Yeah. A reputation about the brand of football, your man management, and the type of experience that players yeah. will have under you. 
Well, they wanted him out of Villa. They didn't like him. He's, he's obviously... He's, he's my cup of tea. He's my cup of tea. Yeah, I like him. Have you noticed the more that you've been talking about this, the, the more animated you're getting yeah. and the, the, your love of what you're talking about has just come oozing out? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, but it's great, isn't it? I mean, I love all talking about the good players and, you know, Jules Best and people like that. You know, what a player, Bestie. Bestie would have been up there with the, you know, he'd have been up there with the Messies, wouldn't he, Bestie, really, I think. I well, mean, you're the only one in this room who can tell us that. But I remember, as a schoolboy, the two players, when you were playing football, either in the mm. front lawn or at school, and you scored or you tried to score, you shout Pelé, like Coleman mm. did in yeah, the yeah. 70 World Cup. But the one who had a skills programme on BBC One when you came home from school was George Best. Oh, genius. And because of Dennis Law, who's from Aberdeen, yeah, yeah. you followed George more mm. closely from Scotland. And when George was you just talk to anybody, genius. you say he would have been... Oh, yeah. He was an he was ge- absolute genius, you know. Of, Did you play regularly? Yeah, against them? George. And George came to Bournemouth and played. You know, I spent a bit of time with George. And he was, he was fantastic. He was a, uh, he was a great guy. And uh, he was just the most amazing footballer. I mean, you know. Well, I remember going to Old Trafford one day. I played in the England youth team with Dave Sadler. And I'm out looking at the pitch before the game. Dave Sadler said, George has missed the team meeting. He said, he's, uh, I think he's been out all night. He said, this looks a bit of a mess, you know. I went, oh, really? He said, yeah, he's been right on the booze, I think. So I oh. I'll go back in the dressing room. I said, fucking hell, best he's been out all night. I said, they reckon he's... Anyway, he came, oh my God, he ripped, I think he scored three that day. And then he got a goal, he got a short corner. He went out of John Aston. I never forget, he said, give it to me, I score from here. He got it and he, he beat four players, came in, went bump, bump, made out the shoot, more was all bang, top, you know, incredible. He was, he was... Normal schools against England schools. This is Man United against West Ham, Old oh. Trafford. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. A fantastic goal he scored. Up against yourself and against, Bobby. Yeah, and... yeah. He came in and beat everybody from the left wing. Took the, they passed the corner to him. He, he made up his mind. He was going to he saw a score from here. And he got it. And he, off he went. He just went... Psh, so yeah. seeing as you were a first-hand witness to George's genius and what he could do with the ball, I don't want to make hmm. comparisons to say the modern player, the, the olden days player, they're, they're not as good. The similarities between Messi and Best. Oh, yeah. yeah. To, to you. Is that Great similarities, in, yeah. In... in, in in what way? Well, the way everything, the way they, they, they'd get kicked and would ride tackles, get up and, you know, I mean, Messi at the end of the day, he's got, you know, the kickings he gets, he's got to be tough and he, he's, he wants to play all the time. They're like kids at a school who are hundred times better than the other kids. They get the ball and they just, you know, off they go. They just can do things that other kids can't dream of doing. And that's how George was. I mean, you, you see people were talking about riding tackles the other day. Someone said, oh, someone rode a tackle. He said, the best I, I said, the best I ever saw was the day that George Best rode Ronnie Harris at Stamford Bridge. Ronnie Harris has come in to, to snap George in half. He's coming across George and George has got the ball and he was like, he was on skis, George. He's rode this. Ronnie Harris has hit him from here. How he ain't broke his leg. And George has rode the tackle in ankle deep mud and gone past Ronnie Harris and drew the keeper and rolled it in the corner. I mean, it, it was incredible. You know, the strength he showed to ride the tackle. And Messi's his hand. He hit him and he seems to keep going, doesn't he? He's the first interview I ever had with him, he said something that I've never forgotten because he's not the world's most enthusiastic speaker. Mm. He, in fact, he, he'd do quite well without anything other than playing the game yeah. and going home. And I asked him about it and he said, well, if you kicked early in a game, it hurts like hell. But from then on, I get on with it because all I want is the ball. And from then on, he said, I don't feel it. 
I don't even notice it because it's all about having the ball and winning the game and owning the mm. game. And he said, you'll come off and then I'll start to feel it again. But during the game, it, he doesn't even, he mm. isn't aware of it, which is no. why you never see, you never book for retaliation. No, no. Never send off for retaliation because no, all no. he wants is the ball. Of course, yeah, yeah. And he's in some sort of zone of his yeah. own, which yeah. I don't know if George was the same in that. No, when he played George, was obviously George, he leads, leads a different life to George off the field. That's, That's the, something that he's that been given in key. his genes. He's yeah. Lucky. He's yeah. got no interest in it no. at all. Whereas George obviously had all the off-field problems. Fun, let's, call, a it, fun, let's yeah. call it fun. But as a player, my God. So what we were good at in Scotland once was producing more than our share of maverick players. Some of them influenced a golden generation of Scots who ruled British and European football in the 70s and 80s. So, here's George Jordan on Jimmy Johnston and finally, Graham Souness on Alan Gilzean. Gilly. King of White Hart Lane, where Soonis was a young pretender with an itch in his boots. Well, Celtic had uh, a supporters club, and so tickets came that particular way. When they moved the game to Hamden Park for the Celtic uh, Leeds game, because 70,000 wasn't, wasn't big enough. So I managed to get a ticket, but it was 130,000. But going watching Celtic, Celtic were a good team. A really good team, and it's been looked upon now. And, and there were there were players there that you know you look at, and were special players. I mean, I can name quite a few, but none more than Jimmy Johnson. You know, I thought Jimmy could do things as a lad stood there in the terrace and watching a player, and you think, and he he was courageous. You know, he, he not only had the ability, but he could take a whack, look after himself. And got on with it. I have to say, I was at a game once where it, I think it was Kenny Aird. Kenny Aird was another little winger, and Kenny Aird laid um, one right on Jimmy, a you know, bad tackle, and Jimmy turned around and, and laid him out, sent straight off. But over the piece, over the years, he had the courage to take the ball, knowing that a centre half or a full back was going to come, come through him. But you're hinting at the fact that not only did he do that, and entertain millions and win trophies, but it was quite rare for him to react. Very, could... very rare. Very rare. But I was there far enough the, the day that he, he, for some reason, he, he lost his rag. But you're talking about week in, week out, year in, year out. And he would he would take it uh, or avoid it in respect with his ability, jump the tackles, evade the tackles. He was an unbelievable player. And I, and I was fortunate enough Later on in my career, and when I say that, it was only a few years after that that I ended up playing with him, and I roomed with him once, which is just amazing the way that life takes you. You know, you go from stood on the terrace and watching a player like him, and there was other players like, you know, like Lennox and Bobby Murdoch and Billy McNeil and that. But Jimmy was the one that I looked upon because he could do things, you think, I don't know how you done that, you know, and then he'd go and do it again. Should he have been rooming with you the night that he set off for America from, was it Largs in the boat? And Because no, I, I'd, I'd I have thought you might have no, advised I, him not to. <clears throat> no, I was, I was there. Uh, I, I actually, I roomed that night with Peter Lorimer and Billy Bremner. There was three in the room. It wasn't, nowadays players have got one room, <laughs> one room, one player, but it was three is. And Peter says, oh, he says it. I think there's going to be a, a bit of a night tonight. And we actually, Peter, 
we, we went, not early, but we, we never went out. And Peter put the chair to the door so nobody got in, and we went to sleep. And then there was a bang on the door very early in the morning, and uh, we were told to all to report to the, the guest room. It wasn't a meeting room, it was just the room, the lounge. And we were in there way before breakfast, and it was all going off. You know, there were sirens, there was lights out. The Queen was a Queen's Hotel. Small hotel in Larks. It was unbelievable. And it was just... And Jimmy didn't think he'd done anything wrong. It was just a bit of fun. <laughs> I, I, I might sound stupid, but I kind of see it from his point of view. Yeah. If you can't have a wee laugh in life, and I'll be, I'll be blunt and say that if, if yeah. I had a night out and I was a top footballer and yeah. I thought I could get away with it and there's a boat, I think I might have set yeah, off yeah, to well. see as well. Because you've got to live a little well, bit. He, he was one that uh, he liked to live... But he, he was an exceptional player, a funny, funny man. I really enjoyed being in his company, not only because he was an incredible player, but because he was a person with a great sense of humour. Make you laugh, you know. If you were rooming with him, which I did one trip, which was at uh, Troon, I think, everybody ended up in, in your bedroom because Jimmy would tell the <laughs> stories. You wouldn't get much sleep, but you get a good laugh. Yeah. I saw, um, I was at a function recently with, Barry Alden, he talked about Jimmy and Jimmy's debilitating disease and he talked about being with them and taking him out to the Bernabeu at the request of Di Stefano. And it was a Di Stefano anniversary of some kind. At a point way beyond when Jimmy had played in the Di Stefano testimonial and Di Stefano was having some sort of anniversary and had insisted that Jimmy be present. Mm. And Jimmy couldn't make it without Bertie, so Bertie took him there and, um, you know, it's not my team, but boy listening to the the bond between the two men, listening to the loyalty from Bertie, who had to... Now, he told the story, not me, when they reached Heathrow and Jimmy had a drink or two and Jimmy needed to go to the loop, Bertie needed to help him. Mm. But told the story with great good humour and, yeah. and did. And Di Stefano kind of was moved. And uh, Di Stefano, one of the... Maybe in the top five, six players yeah, ever, ever yeah. was moved that this great Scottish magician had come back again... Not well, a couple of years before Jimmy died. And that's a heck of a marker of, not just his football abilities, you say, but a hell of a guy too. Oh, he was, he was a terrific player. Consistency, again, not just one season, but to have a career and the medals he won and, and to compete at that level. And, and, and Scottish football, it was competitive then. You know, It wasn't just uh, Celtic turn up and win the league, or Rangers turn up win the league. You, you'd Aberdeen, Hearts and the Hibs. And D United, you know, Jimmy was um, he was world class in my special, opinion. You know. When I picked my team, he's my star man. He was unbelievable. I imagined asking you about Gilly because he was a fellow Scot, but I've no mm. idea whether a Scot who was a superstar and is still a cult hero at the lane had time for. A... Certainly did. You know, when I went to when I went to Tottenham, there was Jimmy Robertson who was a winger. There was Dave McKay who. I only spent a couple of weeks there when Dave Mackay was out because he went off to Derby with Brian Clough. But Gilly was there and he, he was very, very good to me. And I never really had the opportunity to say that to him until maybe three years ago at a Scottish Hall of Fame dinner in Glasgow. And I actually said that to him. He did. He was very good to me. You know, he wasn't putting his arm around me, but he always had a word for me. And he would take the mick out of the English because he was full of technique. He had more technique than anyone else with the ball. He would embarrass 
some of his teammates, and he would always put it down to him being Scottish. He was he was good to me. He made me, and it wasn't I'm not, I, I wasn't looking for anything, but he was he was good to me. He, he let me know he, he let me know he was there for me if I ever had a problem. There was something of Berbatov of sharing him about his movement and his skill. Is that yeah? He was, he was full of technique. He was the most wonderful header of the ball. You know, he could guide headers, he could glance headers, and the ball played into his feet. He was he was full of technique. Not as I recall, not overly aggressive, but not scared. He was someone that today would would love the the modern game, you know, because as, because of his technique, he'd be allowed to get on a wee bit more. How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for the big interview on Acast. That's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The big interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address. And if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook. Search for The Big Interview and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch. Let us know what you think. More soon, baby.